The world we live in is overwhelming. Very few people look like a Victoria's Secret model. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to speak to someone who is hip deep in measuring brands and understanding consumers and the relationship between the two of them. Um, Dr. Emmanuel Propes is joining us. How are you today, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show, Adam. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Emmanuel is the author of Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Human Quest for Meaning. He's also the Senior Vice President of Brand Health Tracking at Ipsos. Uh, so we're, I'm really glad we were able to connect. I know our schedules fell apart a couple times. So thank you mm -hmm. for, for connecting and making time to do this. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Hey, before we get uh, going on our topic today, uh, we're going to talk about brand hacks and, and some topics that align with it. Uh, why don't you give people a sense of uh, where you've been and what you've done throughout your career. For sure. I started in the UK over 15 years ago. So I've been in the market research industry since 2004. And what keeps me up at night, if you will, is to understand why people, why consumers do what they do. And I worked across a wide range of clients and a wide range of business objectives, helping clients predict, measure, and optimize the impact of their marketing and their advertising efforts. That's really what I do for a living. So as you mentioned, Adam, I'm Senior Vice President Brand Health Tracking at Ipsos, and I also teach at UCLA and wrote Brand Hacks. And the gist of it is understanding why people do what they do, being curious about the world, being curious about people. That what that is what keeps me going, if you will. Um, you know, I'm so sorry. I left out that you're you're teaching credential there. No uh, worries. What what do you teach? What kind of courses do are you teaching at UCLA? I teach consumer market research. So <laughs> so during the day at ESOS with our clients, um, I practice consumer market research and at night at UCLA, I teach consumer market research, and very late at night, I write about <laughs> market research. <laughs> so no break, um, no break for you. You're really, it really does keep you up at night. It does keep me up at night, and then in the morning, I listen to podcasts uh, about market research. <laughs> I love it. Just if I if I can ask, what is your uh, doctorate in? Consumer psychology. Oh. And yeah, that's really the, the crux of it again, is why do people do what they do? Being curious about the world, being curious about our next door neighbor and various segments of consumers, audiences in general. That's really what I love doing. And it's a never-ending learning opportunity. And I think that's valuable to um, our listeners today, Adam, is what's compelling about this industry and what's compelling about marketing, advertising, branding, market research is your ability to learn every day to learn something new, even when you've been in the industry for 15 plus years, or especially when you've been in the industry for 15 years. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. That learning new tricks is, is uh, critical 
because things are changing so much, not just technology and, and channels, but uh, preferences and people's approaches to how they want to relate to brands. Indeed. I mean, especially as new, um, new categories are born, new solutions are introduced to, cl- to customers. You know, how do people <laughs> react to those based on the paradigms we already understand and whole new modes of thinking that address whole new solutions for problems that they wouldn't have even had pre-internet, pre-digital. Um, we're, we're creating disruptive solutions for things that problems we never would have predicted at the beginning of both of our careers. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little about brand hacks and, you know, uh, the genesis for writing the book, you know, what, what got you started writing? Because, um, it's a great book. What I like about it is it is, um, I'm scrolling through it right now. It's 200 pages, but it doesn't, it's very light. Um, and each page is a lesson that is, is really actionable. So can you talk about the intent when you started writing? Sure. You know, the starting point for Brand Hacks is the world we live in is overwhelming. Um, we're exposed to a lot of media, lots of advertising. We check our phones 86 times a day on average. We post pictures on Instagram, 41,000 pictures every day. We are connected all the time. Therefore, as individuals, as consumers, we're just overwhelmed with media, overwhelmed with advertising, overwhelmed with brands. And the starting point for brand hacks is to say consumers don't uh, look for any more brands. Consumers don't look for any more advertising. So as marketers, how can we attract consumers, basically, to like our brands? And uh, the point is to take a step back. Hearing you describe the starting point of your book. Um, I know you haven't read my book yet, but I'm going to send you one as soon as we're off this call. Um, is the same foundation of my book specific. Uh, I was, we're going to compare notes uh, because the idea that, and this is why I, uh, when you reached out, when we started talking, this is what I wanted to talk about. I 2000% agree that um, we don't, people are not looking for more brands. I don't need more answers to, most of the problems that <laughs> that I have in the form of a in the form of a logo and a jingle. Indeed, indeed. I probably shouldn't say two thousand percent to someone who is a PhD in marketing <laughs> research. So no, I'll that's just. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you made your point. I yeah, agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to go over the top to do that. So the book is about how then, since, since we agree that people are not looking for brands, I think you and I take slightly divergent responses, which is what makes them different books. But your take is they're not looking for brands. What are they looking for? What are we as people, what are we striving for that brands can fill uh, in, our, in our day-to-day life or in our search? Yeah. So the book looks at personal, social, and cultural meanings. And that is really, in my view, what people are searching for. And personal meaning is about who are you and who do you want to be as an individual. And social meaning is about 
who do you want to be as part of a group? Where do you want to belong? And cultural meaning means how do you want to learn? Uh, what is how do you what do you like about the arts? And what is your relationship with culture in general? So people engage in various activities to find again personal, social, cultural meaning. If we understand these different meanings, from there we can build brands that help fulfill these meanings. That's really what the book is about. And I'll be happy to take some examples for you, but um, I should let you proceed, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, for, thank you for giving me the, the, uh, the lead here. I appreciate it. But we are going to dive into some examples for sure, because when I look at your descriptions, personal, social, and cultural, are, I, my question as I was taking notes are, do people have a preference or in your, in your research, have you found that it depends on the category, the, the solution, the brand and the customer type of which of those three types of meaning are going to be the most valuable or salient? It depends. Thank you for bringing this up. A brand does not have to tick all the boxes as a brand. You're not trying to fulfill all 10 meanings that are in the book. In fact, you probably shouldn't. So examples of, meanings being uh, authenticity, nostalgia, or sense of belonging. All these are meanings that a brand can fulfill. Again, there is no point in trying to fulfill all of them. You should, as a brand, pick and choose what aligns most with your core values and, of course, with your products and your purpose and stick with it, if you will. Um, invest in fulfilling one meaning. And maybe we can take Airbnb as an example. I feel um, this will be helpful for our listeners today. And of course, Airbnb provides you with accommodation. So does Marriott, so does Hyatt, so does Hilton, right? If you engage with Airbnb, the point is not really the accommodation. Sure it is. But importantly, it's the sense of discovery and adventure. And in that way, Airbnb is a meaningful brand and fulfills your quest for discovery and adventure, whereby you're going to engage with the host and you're going to discover a new city and you're going to discover a new cuisine and you're going to be to go off the beaten path, really, mm-hmm. within a safe environment still because the experience has been vetted by Airbnb, if that makes sense. So it's adventurous just enough so that you can fulfill your quest for discovery and adventure. At the same time, it is safe because it has the Airbnb seal of approval. That's and right. And long story short, that's an example of a brand that fulfills meaning. Yeah. And in contrast, hotel brands provide you with hotel rooms. Yeah. So the, the, the idea of going off the beaten path is something that is a zeitgeist that travelers, uh, maybe they didn't, maybe Airbnb helped unlock that zeitgeist before it was, had a, had a description to it, but there was a trend already gathering around the idea of taking non-traditional trips. Um, but the Airbnb brand fulfills the same role as Marriott or Hilton because it's got their brand on it, which guarantees some level of quality and safety of the accommodation. Is that right? Exactly. So the brand still plays a role. It's just the, it's 
translating the the desired that the meaning that the person is seeking into something that is productized or or qualified in some way. Absolutely, the brand plays a role. Um, it's a seal of approval. It's an emotional connection, and with less of an emphasis on the functional benefit. And the functional benefit is the bed. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. And right. the clean towels <laughs> and clean right. sheets. You, you said the word functional, and that, that touched on something for me that um, I'm, I'm doing a research project right now. And in fact, Brand Hacks is in our literature review, uh, which was an early stage of the, of the project. But the, some of the questions we have about creating meaning uh, in brand relationships and in experiences overall are about that idea of function. You know, when we talk about Airbnb, they've talked, they've captured this idea of this uh, non-traditional travel, this excitement of travel, the serendipity of travel. But at its heart, it is, like you said, it's a bed and a towel. Even let's step down even one more level and say, you know, a product like a brand like uh, 3M that makes post-it notes or something really functional, Staples or Office Max. How can, where do those brands succeed and do you have examples of brands that create meaning and really functional practical solutions and and those categories that we don't deem as exciting uh by description yeah so you're right adam that all products have a functional benefit and an emotional benefit and in a nutshell the functional benefit is what the product does for you and the emotional benefit is how does it make you feel? And to your point, it's a lot easier for Ritz Carlton to emphasize the emotional benefits, obviously, because it's luxurious, because the margins are very high, because um, you get fantastic amenities. And it's easier for Ritz Carlton than it is for Clorox. Why? Because for most people, bleach is not very emotional. With that said, Clorox is actually a good example of a brand that managed to turn a very functional product into an emotional um, and create an emotional connection with the audience. They have a 15-second ad that ties the product to taking care of the elderly. So in this ad, again, it's only 15 seconds, and you see someone preparing a nice bath and guiding an elderly person through the bathroom, and obviously using Clorox to, to clean this bathroom. And in a nutshell, that exemplifies how you can take a very functional and undifferentiated product. Obviously, I challenge anyone to tell me the difference between Clorox and Lysol once it's in your bucket and once you're mopping the floor. But again, this is a brand here that did a good job at conveying a meaning of care and purpose and community with a very functional product. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good example. Do you, you give the three examples in the book, personal, social, and cultural as, as types of meaning that brands uh, can reach, can break through it. Is, is your experience that brands achieve one only or are there brands that transcend and hit multiple um, types of meaning? 
Some brands can hit multiple types of meanings. I think it's important to stay true to yourself when you're a brand. Before opening the checkbook, you need to sit down and think, what can I reasonably achieve? And you want to be authentic and you want to be credible for your audience. Don't try to be someone you are not or you cannot be. And I'll take an example here. When Pepsi created an ad in-house and enlisted Kendall Jenner. <laughs> to, <laughs> I, know, I know this to, ad. Our audience right. will know this ad for sure. Yeah. So as a reminder of our listeners, in this ad, Kendall Jenner was to stop a Black Lives Matter riot with her can of Pepsi. So that's an example of failed cultural meaning, simply because, number one, um, it's probably not Pepsi's place to be to solve um, racial tensions in the United States. And number two, with all due respect for Kendall Jenner, who is a very talented young lady, but she knows nothing about riots. She grew up in Calabasas, 10 minutes away from where I am today. And I can <laughs> assure you, Adam, we've never seen a riot in Calabasas. Um, so that's the point here is Kendall Jenner is talented. Pepsi is a great brand, but Pepsi trying to solve racial tensions is just out of context. And an example of a brand trying to harness cultural meaning and not succeeding at this. Who who could have harnessed that? Who who is there a brand that could step into that role even? I mean, it's such a you know, the I the construct of that ad is so demented. It like, is. It's just a, such a weird, unsafe place for a brand to wade into anyway. But why, why a soda brand? And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. so weird to me. Yeah. So an example of a brand that succeeds at taking cultural standpoints and risky ones, um, I can think of Nike, right? So Nike can be disruptive, uh, very progressive. And we know of several examples. Um, they did that with Copernic, that NFL player as an example. But here's the difference is Nike does not have a large market share in any of the categories they play in. Nike is at 15 to 20% everywhere, whether it's sports apparel and sneakers and, and what have you. Pepsi is not. And in a mass market like Cola, you probably don't want to be a polarized brand. Yeah, they should stick to personal or social or Indeed. or tap into easier cultural areas. Safer. Safer, yeah. more friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think about their, um, their Is Pepsi OK campaign, and that is weirdly a cultural tie-in because everybody has been asked that question when they've ordered a Coke generically. The, the server always says, is Pepsi okay? When they use that, I thought, oh, they've really, they've really got something because everybody has heard that question before. Is Pepsi okay? I think it's a clever move. I think it's a clever campaign. Um, let's see. Can we talk about authenticity? I have a, the word authenticity, I think you said credibility, which is a word. I, I've been using the word consistent as a replacement for authenticity which is something I, I think is um, there's a, 
I, I heard an interview with someone from Taco Bell and it was the chef, the, the chef who runs their test kitchen who said, we're not authentic. People don't come to us for authentic Mexican cuisine. They come to us for, uh, you know, true Taco Bell experience. And from then on, I've been thinking, yeah, authentic is not the right word. Um, you said credible when you were describing Airbnb. I want to, I want to talk about authenticity and credibility. Um, how do you, how do you think about those words? Yeah. So authenticity is, is a bit of a buzzword in the, um, market research, well, in the marketing industry in general. And the exact definition of authenticity, it means being aware of and expressing our true nature. And that's what being authentic means. And uh, what we expect from brands and products as consumers is really to reflect who we really are as individuals and who we aspire to be. That's what I mean by authenticity in the context of brands and brandings. And are you thinking about authenticity as a medium between the brand and the consumer? Is it that they, they share some kind of common authentic connection or is it really just, is it an echo of that idea of consistency that the, the brand will be authentic to this set of principles that they've, they've made a commitment that this is how they'll communicate and engage and they authentically do that. Mm. So authenticity and consistency in, in my mind are two slightly different things. Ooh. It's and right. It's authenticity and consistency. So being of authentic means people like people like themselves. I think that's the point. Let mm -hmm. me take an example. Victoria's Secret is struggling because the brand is not authentic, whereby most consumers cannot relate to the Victoria's Angels because very few people weigh uh, 98 pounds and um, look like a Victoria's Secret model. <laughs> so <laughs> That's very um, true. So Victoria's Secret is struggling to connect with the audience all the reasons we know, importantly, because people cannot relate to the models. And in contrast, there is a brand called Airy, and that brand in the underwear category relies on what they call the everyday girl as their target audience. And what I mean here is they use very little Photoshop, um, they use very little special effects and things like this and makeup. And they rely on everyday people, everyday girls to advertise their underwear. Mm -hmm. Dove also had a very successful campaign um, around this a few years ago. The point is you're more likely to connect with people like yourself and people that look like your next door neighbors. So that's what authenticity is about in branding consistency in my view is about delivering an authentic experience of your time. So stick to um, your values, be consistent over time in your delivery of the experience. And it's interesting you mentioned Taco Bell because that is also how McDonald's made all its money, whereby McDonald's is not necessarily the best burger. 
uh, in fact, it is not. And that's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) McDonald's wins on consistency. Yeah, I know what I'm going to get and I get it. Exactly. Starbucks is the same way. Big brands, McDonald's, Starbucks, Taco Bell, Dunkin', most of the time in blind tests, they don't win on the product. And that's fine. They win on delivering a consistent experience because I know that that cheeseburger is going to be exactly the same in West Hills, California, in New York, in Chicago, in Dallas, Texas, and in Fargo, North Dakota. That's what I'm buying from McDonald's or by extension from a brand like Taco Bell. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up too, because McDonald's and Taco Bell strive for that copy paste identical consistency of your, of your experience of your meal of each part. And then, um, Starbucks, I feel tries to vary everything up to the conversation with the barista and the, the actual taste and smell of the product, but they vary their footprint they, of the store. They vary as, ma- as many things along the way to make each Starbucks feel just a little different. So it does not feel like that exact copy paste experience like a, like a McDonald's or, or a Taco Bell. And you brought a very good point, Adam. And I think at Starbucks, the product, the outcome is going to be similar However, you're right to say that at store level, they are doing their very best to tweak the store footprint and, and the script a little bit, if you will, to make it more local and more personal. It's obviously extremely hard to deliver an authentic local experience when you're a brand like Starbucks that operates 11,000 plus outlets in the world. Absolutely. How do you, how do you define meaning? How's that? We need, we probably need three hours to talk about this, but (laughs) but in a nutshell, in, in, in your thinking about it, how do you define meaning for, for customers relating to brands? Yeah. Well, we want to be concise here and I want to differentiate for our listeners the difference between a, a fad a trend and a meaning. So if fad is something that fades, as an example, most diets are fads. Why? Because it's unlikely that our listeners and yourself and I will drink um, celery juice three times a day for the rest of our lives. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope. So most diets are fads. Um, a trend in contrast is something that lasts longer than a fad and that influences the markets. So CrossFit, meditation, Pilates, uh, cycling classes, all these are trends whereby bricks and mortars businesses are built around them. And hopefully if they can convey a sense of purpose and community, they will last for more than five years. A meaning is something that has a deeper impact on us. A meaning meaning is something that makes us feel larger than ourselves, if you will. A meaning, in contrast with a trend and a fad, is something that is consistent over time. And allow me to plug uh, Grand Hacks here. (laughs) Please please do, please do. (laughs) And what's compelling about this book is... uh, it's basically an evergreen. My point is, it doesn't really matter what color is in and out of fashion. 
over the next six to 12 months. What matters are the meanings people are trying to fulfill and those meanings are consistent over time. Mm -hmm. So they're good for the next five, seven, 10 years. So, so meaning for you happens over time. It's not something that people come to a brand or walk away from a singular experience with. It develops over a, over a relationship or over repeated exposure. Exactly. And that's where brands have to be patient when you want to develop, when you want to build and grow your brand, you need to think in the long term. Of course, there is pressure from your board and from uh, your CFO to deliver immediate results. And that's fine. That's why people get excited about click-through rates and lower funnel metrics. There's nothing wrong with this, but that's not how you build a brand. You can drive traffic to your website, to your store, to your product this weekend. That's okay. But that's not brand building. That's just driving traffic. It's very tactical and shallow. When you build a brand and you want to build a brand that's meaningful and salient and differentiated, you need to be patient and to take the time to harness this meaning. Yes. And I, I agree with what you're saying. And I, and yet each of those individual components, a visit to Starbucks or um, driving traffic to a website that crashes and keeps me from buying the thing I need to buy contribute to the, my feeling about the brand and the, the meaning I place on it of, of maybe reliability or about access or about something else. Indeed. So everything, everything is connected as we say. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Probst, this was, this was really time well spent. Thank you for, uh, for joining me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And thank you to our listeners today. Um, and of course, the book is Brenda Hacks. But if people want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn at Emmanuel Probst. And I'd be happy to address any questions our listeners may have today. So feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Absolutely. I will, I will add a link for those people who uh, are shy about spelling. They could just tap the link. Um, and mm -hmm. where can they find Brand Hacks online if they, if they would be so bold as to order a copy, which I recommend? The store is Amazon, right? I've heard, I've heard, of, <laughs> I've heard of this store. So simply if you type Brand Hacks in, in Amazon, you'll find the book straight away. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for making time for me today. Thanks again. You have a great day. All right. So long. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard, or you've liked any of the episodes of the strategy inside everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. Please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, that helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us, at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon, it's Patreon, uh, Adam Pierno there, and you can help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had 
anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It in specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampierno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.